And we are indeed grateful this morning for all of our visitors. Once again, very, very grateful that you are all here and amongst us. I would ask that you would take out a visitor's card uh, and, and make it out, please, and make sure that we get it before you leave as a record of your attendance this morning. That would be great. I would also like to say before we begin this morning that we are very blessed and grateful and one final congratulations to our uh, graduating seniors. We were um, blessed to, to celebrate that yesterday and to have both of uh, those young men who are our brothers in Christ here in the congregation as leaders in different parts of the service this morning and so we are grateful for that. As we continue here in Cleveland with kind of a, an overall an overall outreach attempt and kind of in that environment an idea of evangelizing. I was rummaging through some old resources that I have and I came across one by brother Phil Sanders and the title of it was Can We All Understand the Bible Alike? And I believe it was part of a course that he taught at the Nashville School of Preaching but that particular thought or idea is what has inspired both of today's lessons, both of which I, I would just say will go together and if you can be here tonight that would be great. But as we consider how to outreach two people, we're going to hear some strange things about the Bible. <laughs> we're going to hear stranger things about the Bible than are in the Bible for sure. And Phil made a great point with that curriculum. Can we all understand the Bible alike? And I would like for us to really look at a deep answer or several answers to that as we continue today. You know, he makes a great point. If you were to walk into several of the different churches meeting in town this morning, and you were to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? You might get, you would get, a plethora of answers. Some might tell you, well, all you got to do is believe. Some might tell you, well, if you say this prayer. Uh, some might tell you, don't worry about it because God loves us and everybody's saved anyway. You might hear any different and varying amount of responses to that question. And so the question, can we all understand the Bible alike, becomes extremely relevant. Brother Sanders said in his introduction the following, There are a number of popular beliefs being taught about the Bible today that we need to explore. Perhaps you have heard some of these, such as, The Bible is not meant to be understood, or The Bible says different things to different people, or what is important is not so much what the Bible says, but what it says to me personally. Or, the New Testament addressed the culture of the first century and it really doesn't apply to us today. Some others that you might hear would include such things as, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your belief. This one many of us are probably familiar with. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to. One idea that seems to keep floating around, Brother Sanders says, is take a passage of scripture and read it to a group of people. There will be as many different interpretations of that passage as there are people in that room. 
Is this really true? His final two points were, was the Bible meant to be understood? Was the Bible intended to be understood alike? This morning, we're going to perform a little test here. We're going to take a look at some of those statements and conduct a little spiritual test, as it were. Sort of like, you know, when you're in science class, they had these little hands-on experiments. We're going to conduct an experiment this morning to see if these statements are true. We're going to test some of these man-made theories about the Bible and see whether they are true or false. So, here comes the test. Please go ahead this morning and take out your bulletins. If you got one, most of you should have one. Please take out your bulletins. Put your Bible down for a moment. Take out your bulletins. On the front page of your bulletin, I would like to direct your attention to the second announcement. The second announcement, which reads, Tonight, after worship, all are invited to stay and celebrate Will Snyder's graduation. Y'all see that one? Now, here's the question I've got. How many of you, when I read that, got the idea that it's going to be a week from this coming Tuesday that we're going to do it? How many of you got the idea, when I read that, that we were going to do it this afternoon about 3 o'clock? I'm not seeing any hands. Just show me. Okay, let's start right here. All raise your hands so I can see if you're raising them. Please raise your hands. Not answer the question. Just show me you can raise your hand. Everybody, show me you can raise your hand. Okay, just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. All right. How many of you interpreted that to mean that tonight, after worship, everybody's invited to stay and celebrate my graduation? How many of you took that to mean that all are supposed to stay tonight and celebrate Landon's engagement? Well, isn't that amazing? How many of you took that to mean tonight after worship we're all invited to stay and celebrate Will Snyder's graduation? If that's what you interpreted that as, raise your hand. Huh. Look at the fourth announcement. May Monday night for the master service events will be held tomorrow night and then again on May 28th beginning at 5.30 in the fellowship hall. Is that what the announcement says? Okay. How many of you, when you saw that, because remember now the whole point was there's a, there's a teaching floating around today that says that if you tell people something in, a, in an entire group that there'll be as many different interpretations as there are people and we must have close to 70 here this morning so let's, let's just make sure that, let, let's test that. How many of you read that announcement and thought that Monday night for the master would be this coming Thursday night? No hands. How many of you read it and thought it would begin at 2 o'clock in the fellowship hall? How many of you read it and thought it began at 3 o'clock in the auditorium? Show me again. Can you all raise your hands? Show me again because I ain't seeing any. Okay. Now, I got a real question for you. This is the big one. I wrote those announcements. How many of you think I am smarter than God? 
Really? Well, the reason I ask is because if I, with a high school education, am smart enough to write a sentence in the announcements so that I can read it to a whole group of people and they all understand exactly what I meant, did you not? You didn't misinterpret it, did you? Well, if God is at least as smart as I am, and we know He's infinitely far smarter, don't you think God's smart enough to write things so we can understand it and all get the same idea too? We have two graduates, again, amongst us this morning, at least two, two that I know of that are amongst us this morning. And throughout their high school, and I know that there's been others connected to the congregation and others uh, who have graduated, but in all of them, they have read through certain textbooks, and these textbooks they had to have a test on, and they all needed to come to the same conclusion, right? So human textbooks and these announcements that I wrote, human beings apparently can write things in such a way that we can all understand them exactly alike in all of their intricate detail. If God is at least as smart as we are, and I don't mean to be irreverent, I'm making a point, but we know that God is infinitely smarter than we are, then don't you think God can have something written in such a way that everybody can read it and get the same idea? I guess that whole theory about take a passage of scripture and read it to a group of people, there'll be as many interpretations of that passage as there are people in the room, that, that's really not true. And in fact, let's prove that. Let's, let's prove it from the other angle. Let's prove it from some of God's writing. Take out your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16. Let's see if this reasoning applies as we go forward to the actual scripture itself. Let's, let's prove that. Let's take the next step in our little experiment here. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay. Now... When I read that, how many of you interpreted that to mean, he who believes will be saved and should be baptized? No hands. Okay? Because you know that's what some religions teach. All you got to do is believe and you're saved and then you get baptized later. What about the religion that says that we can just baptize babies that don't believe? How many of you read that and said, okay, what this means is, he who is baptized shall be saved and should come to believe later. How many of you interpreted it that way? Nobody. Okay? Well, there are some religions out there that teach that God is so good, nobody's going to hell anyway. So their interpretation would be, he will be saved whether he believes and is baptized or not. How many of you got that out of that text? How many of you got out of that text that in order to be saved, one needs to believe and be baptized in order to be saved? If you got that, raise your hands. Can we all understand God's word alike? God is a whole lot smarter than men. We can. Let's take another one. Let's take in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2.
Obviously, the one that we're going to is verses 36 to 38. Peter concludes his first gospel sermon by saying, Therefore, Acts 2 and verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what will we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Okay, let's see how many interpretations we've got of that one. How many of you took that to mean that you don't have to repent, just be baptized? How many of you took that to mean just be baptized, you don't have to repent, which unfortunately happens sometimes? I'm not seeing any hands. Show me again. Can you all do this? I'm getting tired of asking, but the theories aren't working here. How many of you took that to say in verse 38 that you need to repent and be baptized because you've already been saved at some point in the past? Is that what it says? Hmm. How many of you took it to mean that you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins? Raise your hand. Boy, these theories just aren't working, are they? Let me take it at least one more. Turn to Acts 22, 16. We'll probably go to two more. Because you're going to hear this out there. You're going to hear, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. That, that you can read the same verse. Well, what it says to you, it doesn't say to me. Well, it looks pretty good to me with this kind of survey group that you can all read the same thing and God's smart enough so that we can all understand it the same way. For example, Acts 22 and verse 16. Saul of Tarsus is told... Or he's relating his story of how he was told what to do. And it says in Acts 22 and 16, Now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How many of you took that to mean that he needed to arise and say a prayer welcoming Jesus into his heart so he could be saved? How many of you took that to mean that he needed to be baptized and... Do so because the sins had already been washed away. How many of you took that to mean that calling on the name of the Lord means saying a prayer which he should have done before this to be saved and now he needs to be baptized to wash away sins that have already been dealt with? See the point? The Bible doesn't say different things to different people. Or it shouldn't. We can all understand the Bible like when... God says in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, that there's one hope, there's one body, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. How many of us understand that to mean there's one of each of those things? Can you read that verse to somebody? And have them say, well what that means is, is that there's 3,000 faiths that are acceptable to God. Is that what the text says? No, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Folks, the, 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 the bad part about this is, is you're going to hate, hear people as we seek to study with people that are going to say, but any faith is acceptable. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, any faith will do. But God said in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there's one faith. The bottom line is, obviously, if we read... Scripture to a whole group of people who simply want to take God at his word and accept what God said. There's, there's only one understanding to be given. In fact, there's a reason that we can all understand the Bible alike. 
And that reason is, is because that's exactly why God had it written. God had His Word written down for us. Don't miss this. God had His Word written down for us in order to be understood by us. All the same. Open to me in your Bibles the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. God had his word written down for us in order to be understood by us. Deuteronomy 30. We know the story. Moses getting ready to die here. Um, people getting ready to enter the promised land. Book of Deuteronomy. Moses has basically recapped their history. Deuteronomy chapter 30 beginning at verse 11. I want you to watch as we prove the fact that God had his written, word written down specifically so we would all understand it and understand it alike. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. Moses says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Look at chapter 31, verse 9, as we put that with what we just read. Deuteronomy 31, verse 9, So Moses wrote... This law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacle, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones and a stranger who's within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. God's instructions were written down, verse 9, as Phil Sanders said, to be read to men women and children every seven years, an enduring process. It was to all Israel, smart, dumb, liberal, conservative, those who didn't know it were expected to learn it. Those are Brother Sanders' words, not mine. But he's right. Doesn't it say to all Israel, bring the men, the women, the little one, bring them all. Doesn't matter who, they all were expected to learn it. How were they going to learn it and understand it and do it? They were going to do that because it was written. That's the whole purpose that God had his word written down. All of us understanding this written word alike is exactly why the New Testament and the gospel writers wrote. Look with me in Luke 1. Luke 1. And this is what we need to help people to understand who come up with all of those other reasonings that simply are not right. Luke 1, it was written so we'd understand. Luke says, in the first four verses of his gospel, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Why was he going to write what he understood? Verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. It was written down so people would know and understand. As a matter of fact, that's why John wrote. Look at the end of the Gospel of John. Look in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. God had his word written down so we could all understand it and all understand it alike. John 20, verses 30 through 31 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. wasn't written so we'd all think something different about Jesus, but so that we'd all come to understand truly who Jesus is, and we'd all have the same understanding of Jesus Christ. That's why John wrote. Look what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And you say, why so many references? Because I want us to understand, we're going to bump up against people who are going to come up with some of those things and say, well, the Bible can't be understood or we can't all understand it. Like, folks, those are lies of Satan. That's not what God said. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes to the Church of Christ in 1st century Corinth. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. The reason he wrote, he was writing to them things they could read and things that they understood. If we were to go to Ephesians Chapter 3, Paul writes this to the church of Christ in Ephesus in the first seven verses. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me, Paul says, the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand. See it? I know I didn't go all the way through verse 7. But Paul got this, this revelation from God and he wanted everybody to understand. He didn't want them all to understand different things about it. He wanted them to all understand his revelation, this mystery. It doesn't say mysteries, but the, in, in the mystery of Christ. And I want you to look what he wrote in Romans 15. For those of you that are taking notes, I'll footnote the rest of these, but Romans 15, I want you to see this in verses 4 through 6. Romans chapter 15, as Paul closes his epistle to the first century church of Christ in Rome, he says this. Romans 15 and verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. 
Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. How can we be like-minded toward one another if the Bible says something completely different to all of us? We can't do that. We can't be like-minded toward one another or toward God, which is what he says in the next verse, verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. How can we glorify God with one mind if the Bible says something different to all of us? For example, if the Bible says, quote-unquote, to one of you that we should take communion on Tuesday... If the Bible says to another one of you that it's a sin to take communion, if the Bible says to another one of you that it's okay to replace this with coffee and donuts, if the Bible says to another one of you that communion is something you're supposed to do alone in your house, how can we ever get together and all be one if the Bible says something different to all of us? We can't. And God didn't have it written that way. God had it written that way so we'd all be Romans 15, 6 of how many minds? Can we all agree that the church met on the first day of the week to break bread? Acts 20 and verse 7. Can we agree? Does it say the same thing to all of us? Does any of you read that and think we ought to do it on the third day of the week? No. Okay. God wrote it to be understood. We can be of one mind. We can drink of the bread. Uh, drink of the bread. We can drink of the fruit of the vine and we can eat the bread. And we can all be of the same mind on that and not replace it with coffee and donuts or biscuits and gravy. I forget, we're in the South, right? Um, so, we can all be of one mind. That's the way it's written. And this idea of being one mind is throughout the Scripture. Let me give you some other examples, just quickly, of where Paul said the same thing. 1 Corinthians 1.10, 2 Corinthians 13.11, he said it four times in the book of Philippians, and Peter said it in 1 Peter 3.8. All of them saying we've got to be of one mind. How on earth can we be of one mind if the Bible says something different to all of us? how can we all be of one mind if the Bible is designed in such a way that we can't understand it? Can we all understand the number one? You know, sometimes when people talk in terms of millions or billions, I, I have no concept what a billion dollars is, okay? I'm not going to ask any of you to raise your hand because I probably get the same response and none. I can't get my mind around what a billion dollars looks like, let alone what it'll do for you, okay? There was a country music star at one point that said he had more money than he or his children or grandchildren would ever be able to spend. Well, good for him, but you know what? I Not him. So, I can't get my mind around some of the bigger numbers. When we start talking in terms of the planets that are in our universe or solar system or the grains of sand on a beach, I can't get my mind around that. But you know what? I can understand the number one. That one's pretty easy. I get that. And God had his word written in simple, easy to understand language. There is one body. The body is the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 3. There is one body. There's one Lord. I, I get that. That's simple. And that's the way the Bible is designed. That's what God said. It's not designed so that we can't understand it or that we all understand it differently. Brother Sanders again says, and this is good. He says, what kind of God says... Be of the same mind and composes a Bible that says different things to different people. Think about that. 
he goes on to say, if we say that God cannot communicate clearly, what are we saying about God? If we are saying God can't communicate clearly, but that Doug or that some writer or the people in the local newspaper or the people who wrote our kids' textbooks, that those mere men can write in ways that can be understood the same by everybody, but God's not intelligent enough to do that, that we need to start worshiping the people that are writing the newspaper instead of God because apparently they're smarter than God is. Unless... The Bible is exactly what God wanted it to be. It's plain. It's simple. We can understand it and we can all understand it alike. Brother Sanders concludes. He says, A simple math lesson teaches the principles of addition. All that are in the class are expected to arrive at the same correct answer. We assume that normally intelligent people would arrive at the same answer if they understood the principles. If someone came up with a wrong answer, we do not assume the book is wrong, but that the person needed further teaching. So it is with the Bible. Amen. If people understand the Bible differently, the problem is with the people, not with the Bible. God wrote to us what he wanted to us to know. Whatever he wrote was for our best interest. It is the truth that makes us free, but we have an obligation to abide in God's word. And so, as we have seen, the Bible is meant to be understood. The Bible was written to be understood by all people. The Bible was written to say the same thing to everybody. It was not designed or meant to say different things to different people. And therefore it is critical to understand that the Bible means exactly what it says. Precisely in every word it says it. What did Jesus say when he was tempted? Three times in Matthew 4, 1 through 10, he is tempted, and he beats the temptation by starting out by saying, It is written. And in fact, in Matthew 4 and verse 4, he said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word of God means exactly what it says. It means the same thing, no matter if you're from Australia or Canada or South America. It doesn't matter your sex. It doesn't matter your your heritage, the Bible is designed for all people, young and old, rich and poor, and it says the same thing to all of us because God designed it that way. Another statement we sometimes hear that he mentioned in the beginning, the New Testament addressed the culture of the first century and it really doesn't apply to us. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Well, I'm going to anyway. Does man still have a sin problem? You watch the evening news lately? Read a newspaper? Does man still have a sin problem? Yeah. Does man still need a savior? Do you need a savior? I do. Well then, if... We still have a sin problem and we still need a Savior. It appears to me that the Bible's written for us too because I'm telling you, there's an awesome Savior in those pages. Did Jude write about the faith? 
that was once delivered for the first century? Is that what Jude wrote in Jude 3? No. He said to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered for all. Not for just the first century. So it occurs to me that the Bible does not just address first century culture. In fact, open up with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy for a moment. 2 Timothy. Let's blow that one out of the proverbial water. 2 Timothy. For those folks that say, well, the Bible just written to them. It's not written for us. 2 Timothy 3. If this doesn't describe the world we live in today, I don't know what does. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, hello. Does that sound like to you that those things no longer exist? We're living 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. Not only that, but for those that would say the Bible was written only for them and their culture and doesn't apply to us, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. Three short verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides. How long? Forever. How long is the word of God meant to have relevance? Forever. Are we living during a time frame? Then the Bible applies. The word of God, which lives and abides forever, because, verse 24, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You and I are going to die. If the Lord does not come before, before the end of our life, we're going to die. We're gonna, our spirit's going to leave this fleshly body. Probably they're going to have a funeral or at least a memorial service, but nobody's getting out of here without that happening unless the Lord comes back. That's just the way it is. It's the way it's been. It's the way it's going to continue to be. But even after we're gone, if this earth spends another 10 bazillion years, guess what? The word of the Lord is going to apply because the word of God lives and abides forever. God's promise will be just as true then as it is now. The final phrase that I want to offer up for you this morning that was made at the beginning of this lesson for examination is this. Some say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Did the terrorists who flew the planes into the Twin Towers, were they sincere? Were they right? You know, if it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, somebody should have told that to those folks described in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, who didn't do the will of God, but they cast out demons and they did all these wonderful things and they said, Lord, Lord! And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. They had done some incredible things. They had cast out demons. They had done things you and I can't do. But the thing that they didn't do, that they should have done, that we can do, is the will of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. They didn't do God's will, but they were sincere. 
But Jesus says, I'm going to tell him, depart from me. Sincerity alone is not enough. Paul describes the nation of Israel in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, and he said, they're zealous, but not according to knowledge. They're zealous people. They're sincere, and they, they, they think they're serving, and they put everything they got into serving. They're just wrong. It does matter what you believe. The bottom line is this. The Bible was meant to be understood. It was meant to be understood by all people the same way so that all people could come to the same understanding, the same conclusions, and be of one mind and one spirit because God requires that throughout the new... You've got to be of one mind. He wouldn't ask us to do that unless He gave us the ability to do that. And the ability He gave us to do that is the Word of God that we should all understand the same. That allows us to stand together on and strive together for the one truth of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 through 2.4 In conclusion this morning, turn to me to the book of 1 John. What was read to us in our scripture reading this morning, 1 John chapter 5. First John 5 and verse 20. This should be the answer when we are asked, can we all understand the Bible alike? 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Listen, did God tell us that eternal life was in Christ? Did He tell us that? Yeah, He sure did. It says so right there. It also says that in the same chapter. Look at verse 11. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Couldn't be any clearer. Eternal life is found in Christ. Verse 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why it's written. Can we know and understand the Scriptures the same to get into Christ? Can we? Did God write it so we can know and understand what it takes to get into Christ where eternal life is? Did He? Sure did. There's two places in the New Testament we see the phrase, into Christ. Two and only two. They're very simple. They're Galatians 3, 26 and 27. They're Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 and 4. Only two places in the entire New Testament. God didn't put in 45 different places. He put in two. It's very simple. We can count to two, right? One, two. There they are. Into Christ. The only way that one gets into Christ, we know that's where eternal life is. We just read it. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and 1 John 5 and verse 20. Eternal life is in Christ. It's right there waiting for us. But how do we get into Christ, God? How do we do that? Well, Galatians 3, 26 and 7, Romans 6, 3 and 4, you get into Christ by being baptized into Christ. That is also where you call on the name of the Lord. Some religions today will say, we call on the name of the Lord in prayer. I don't know then why Acts 22 and verse 16 that we read earlier says, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. We call on the name of the Lord when we're baptized. We call on His authority to cleanse our sins. That's what God said. It's not hard to understand. There's no prayer listed in that passage. If you're here this morning... 
And you want that eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. The Bible is very easy to understand. It's not difficult. If we put everything together, the New Testament says we must hear the word of God. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We must be willing to confess him before man or he will not confess us before his father. Matthew 10, 32 and 3. We need to be willing to repent. Baptism without repentance is pointless. If you're not going to turn toward God for everything else in your life and let him be Lord of your life, then baptism is a useless and futile waste of time. We need to repent of our sins, turn our lives to God, let Him be Lord and Master. And we need to get into Christ by being baptized into Christ, putting that old man of sin to death and rising up to walk in newness of life. Then we've got to keep walking in newness of life, because if we don't, then the baptism doesn't do us any good. If you're here this morning and you need to respond by being baptized, prayers of the church, maybe you've been baptized and you've gotten off track, but that's where eternal life is and it's not hard to understand. Not hard at all. This morning, if you would respond in any way, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.